0: Welcome to Widowed But Not Alone with Todd Bessey of Creedem Wealth Partners, the podcast designed to help people who have lost a partner and those people who support them. We will share stories and resources that will help support your needs, address your financial concerns, and guide you to believe in your future. Now, on to the show.
1: Welcome back to the Widowed But Not Alone podcast. Having a team of trusted professional advisors to support you as you begin to move forward after the loss of a spouse is critical for a widow. One of those key people is a tax advisor. In our last conversation, Kelly Swisher, a senior manager of accounting and tax services at Eater Casella and Company, joined me to talk about several important tax-related topics. We covered tax filing status for widows, how to handle the transition of retirement accounts, and dealing with required minimum distributions on IRAs. We discussed a concept called step up in tax basis on investments. And lastly, we touched on preserving your capital gains exemption if you sell your house. I'm really excited to have Kelly join me again today to discuss uh, more about taxes and tax planning for widows. Kelly, welcome back to the Widow But Not Alone podcast.
2: Thanks for having me back, Todd. Um, it's a pleasure to be here and to be a part in, of this important conversation.
1: Yeah, thanks for, for coming back and joining me again. Um, you know, last time we talked about a lot of important topics, and and we just didn't have enough time to cover it all. So I figured, hey, let's get back together. We'll we'll chat a little further and cover a few more you know topics that I think are, are pretty important. Um, so the first one, let's let's touch on a little bit about social security income. You know, um, when uh, someone loses their spouse uh, obviously if they're a little bit older they may have already been receiving social security income but if they're younger questions arises to to where is my income going to come from and and some people may qualify for social security benefits so let's let's talk a little bit about survivor benefits on on social security
2: sure so the first thing I did just wanted to mention there's two things really here once um, your spouse dies that you should Um, do. So the first thing is you should notify Social Security as soon as possible. Um, This is something that you're not able to do online, so you actually have to call um, or make an appointment with the Social Security Administrator. In many cases, the funeral home will actually take care of this for you, but it's important to confirm with them. um, All they would need is the Social Security number of um, of your spouse in order to do this. So if your spouse was already receiving benefits, the benefits received for the month of their death and anything, any payments received later must be returned. So that's something I think that gets missed sometimes um, with just with everything that's going on. Um, So an example of this. So if your spouse passed away in July um, you must return the benefits paid in August. So if you didn't, you know, notify Social Security in time, and you ended up receiving the payments, that just would need to be returned to Social Security. So now the second part is, um, like you had mentioned, applying for the the survivor benefits. Um, so that's available really to a widow, a widower, um, any, de- and then any dependents of of an eligible worker. So your spouse that had passed. So to apply for this, like I had mentioned, um, when you have to report the death to Social Security, this also cannot be done online, um, unfortunately. So you have to call the Social Security representative or make an appointment with um, your local office. So as the surviving spouse, you're eligible to receive these benefits uh, as early as age 60, Then if you qualify for your own benefits, these would be switched to your benefits as early as age 62. Um, If you are disabled um, before your spouse's passing or within seven years of your spouse's passing, you could potentially receive benefits starting at the age of 50. So if you haven't reached those age limits, um, you need either 60 or 50 as I previously talked about. Um, and if you're not remarried, um, and you take care of the deceased spouse's child who is under 16, you would also be eligible to have um, some of the survivor benefits. Um, another thing to mention that is that if you already receive benefits as a spouse, your benefits will automatically convert to the survivor's benefit after the Social Security receives um, the, the death report.
1: Okay. So so now what about, um, you know, you were talking about different ages, you know, what what if you've got a situation where, and um, maybe take a minute to explain if you would. So if someone's spouse passes and you have some dependent children, Right the surviving spouse that's taking care of those children will get a social security benefit, the kids can get a benefit. But now what happens when the last child hits um, age majority or age 18?
2: So after they hit 18, they would no longer qualify for the survivor benefits and you as the spouse you would no longer, if you're not at the sixth year limit or you're reached the age 60 or 50, as we had previously discussed, um, your survivor benefits would also drop until you reach those those ages.
1: Yeah. So this becomes kind of a challenge sometimes for a younger widow, right? Who's who's raising children and, and all of a sudden those kids get to that age where they're graduating from high school, maybe, you know, either going to work or heading off to college. And now all of a sudden that income starts to, from social security starts to disappear. And we have to think about, are you are we working or going back to work? Or is there, a, are there other sources of income that can provide for that surviving spouse, like an investment portfolio, right? So what about right. Kelly, what about uh, taxation of social security benefits? How does that work?
2: Sure. Um, so it depends on your tax level. Um, and so if you are if you're filing as an individual and you have um, income earned income less than 25,000, you don't get taxed on your social security benefits. If you're married filing uh, jointly, that number is 32,000. Um, then it's kind of tiered as far as how it's taxed. So between if you're an individual file filer and you earn between 25,000 and $34,000, um, or if you're a married, filing joint couple and you earn between 32000 and 44000 it's taxed up to 50% between those, um, those areas. Um, and then after that, it's taxed up to 85%. Um, so it's important to note that Social Security is only taxed up to that 85% of your benefits received.
1: Got it. So, in a situation where we have a surviving spouse, and there is either, um, uh, let's just say, some some investment income, other sources of of income, along with Social Security benefits, um, in most cases, if there's sufficient income, right, most people, at least from what we see, are going to be at that threshold where they're paying the maximum. Tax rate, or if you will, the Social Security benefit will be taxed at the maximum percentage, which is eighty five percent of that income. Is that right?
2: Correct. Yes. We that's that's usually what we see.
1: Got it. So then, what about let's? So since we're on the topic of of taxation of Social Security benefits, um, and we talked a little bit about let's say if a surviving spouse is working. Okay, so now let's just say if somebody is out there working, and you know, let's just pick a number. Say they're they're working, whether it's you know full time, part time, making you know fifty thousand dollars a year of income, and then they're drawing social security benefits. You know, talk, can you talk a little bit about kind of the ages of receiving at, at what age you're receiving social security benefits, and how earning wages could affect that benefit?
2: Sure. I think we get this question a lot. Um, So you're able to receive the survivor benefit and work at the same time. However, there's a limit to how much you can earn and still receive this full benefit. so, if you're younger than the full retirement age, which is either sixty-six or sixty-seven, depending on the year that you were born, um, and you earn more than the yearly earnings um, limit published by Social Security, your your benefits will be reduced. Um, so, in for twenty twenty-two, that income uh, limit is nineteen thousand five hundred and sixty dollars. So, for every two dollars over that limit, your benefits are reduced by a dollar um so it's it's pretty substantial um reduction but once you do reach that full retirement age of either 66 or 67 um your earning these earning limits disappear
1: so so let's just make sure our, our our listeners understand this this point on the earning a wage before hitting full retirement age as far as social security is concerned um that, that the limitation of social security events or reduction of social security benefits applies based on wages from working, right? So Earned,
2: earned income.
1: Earned income. So what if, Kelly, what if for, for a second here, somebody had an investment portfolio that was generating income for them? Let's just say they were fortunate enough to have a portfolio that generated $30,000, $50,000, $100,000 a year of income. How does that play into this calculation?
2: Since those aren't earned wages um, it would it would not be affected by this limit
1: got it so so someone could work part let's say part time right maybe earn some wages while they're under full retirement age, still have investment income, and that's not going to necessarily affect the amount of social security benefits they get right
2: correct, yes, and you could even tax plan. Um, you know, if you're able to contribute to a retirement plan, for example, and you have other income sources, you could, although maybe your total income is over the 19,000, if you were to contribute to a retirement plan and get under this 19,000, you know, that's kind of another way to plan around it as well.
1: So if you happen to have a a part-time job where you were working at a company that had a 401k plan. you could make a contribution to that or or an a deductible IRA contribution, right?
2: Correct, yes.
1: Got it. Awesome. Well, okay, so let's maybe transition away from social security for a minute here and just talk about other types of income that we can receive. Um, and how that income could be taxed. So you know, I guess when when we work with widows, Sometimes we're, you know, we're working with someone that's been fully engaged in, in the investment process and doing taxes and they they get this stuff. But a lot of times we're working with someone that's a surviving spouse that maybe wasn't, you know, deeply involved in um, in those things and they don't quite understand how different types of investments are taxed. And so when we're working with clients on this, you know, there's typically two buckets of assets, right? There are assets that would be considered retirement assets, like a 401k or an IRA, you know, that um, when you pull money out of those accounts, you're going to get taxed on that income. But let's let's talk about the bucket that we consider to be the taxable investment portfolio. So these are non, uh, non-retirement investments could be individual stocks, individual bonds, mutual funds that invest in individual stocks or bonds. Um, or lastly, another category uh, called annuities. So maybe we could talk a little bit, Kelly, about interest income and dividend income, and then something called capital gains. So why, why don't we start there? Will you talk a little bit about how those different things might be taxed to you know for a widow when they're receiving that type of income?
2: Sure. So You mentioned interest first, so I'll start there. So typically, most interest is taxed at the federal tax rate um, as your earned income. So things like interest on your checking account or your savings account. If you have any CDs, the interest earned on that. Um, U.S. obligations. Um, so that gets a little bit tricky because um, when there's muni- municipal bonds, you know they could fall into the exempt portion. Um, U.S. Treasury bonds are taxable federally, but not taxable at the state level. Um, and then interest on, in, you know, annuity contracts. Um, and then as I brought up, there are forms of interest that are exempt from federal income tax. And these would include, like I had mentioned, uh, municipal bond interest, which also could be exempt at the state level, depending on what state um, issued the bond and what obviously what uh, state you're a resident of. And um, there's there's things um, called private activity bonds that could be tax exempt. Um but again, there's there's certain situations that wouldn't always necessarily be tax-exempt as well. And then one last thing is exempt interest dividends from mutual funds or other regulated companies would um, all fall under that ta- that federally tax-exempt interest um, income. The next area that you had mentioned, and I'm going to kind of group a couple of things together here, is the, the capital gains and the dividends. So... So, a short-term capital gains that would that would be, for example, if you owned a security less than a year and you sold it, so that would be considered a short-term, and there was a gain on it, so that would be a short-term capital gain. Um, so, short-term capital gains and ordinary dividends are both treated the same as as earned income, so th- those would be taxed at your current income tax bracket level. Now. When it comes to long-term capital gains, um, so that's obviously a little bit, it's the opposite of short-term. It's just going to be anything over a year that you, that you owned for over a year and sold um, at a gain. So long-term capital gains and qualified dividends. um, They have a more favorable tax treatment that is in the lower, lower than ordinary tax rates. So these are taxed using it's called the capital gains tax rates. So those um, are anywhere from zero, fifteen to twenty percent, um, and those brackets all depend on your income tax level.
1: Got it. And so um, you know if we look at let's say a client that owns individual stocks or stock- based mutual funds, most for the most part, wouldn't you say that most of the dividends they're going to receive Will fall into this what's called qualified bucket, right? And and in most cases, it's taxed at a lower rate.
2: That's okay. usually yes, I would agree. Yeah, that's right, usually the case, right?
1: And then, like you said, uh, sales of investments that are held for longer one year than one year. So, if it's an individual stock or it's a stock mutual fund, uh, if you happen to own a bond that had a capital gain and sold it, and you own it for longer than the year, again, you're going to get that. More favorable, lower tax treatment on sales of longer-term assets, right?
2: Correct. Yes, and that's you know something that you can plan, um, you know, with your investment advisor, um, in coordination with with your CPA.
1: So, one last category here, I guess, to talk about as it as we we think about interest and dividends, and this is one I think that's often confuses many investors is. How annuities are taxed and the, the distribution of, of monies from an annuity. So, annuities can be owned in an IRA. Okay. And again, if you take a distribution there, it's going to be taxed as ordinary income. Um, the trick is, I, I think, something called a non qualified annuity, which is an annuity that's purchased with cash, you know, outside of a retirement account. And so, when what we've seen from time to time is clients that that buy the, you know, invest in these annuities, um, and have held them for a long period of time. So there's growth. And I I guess I'll give one example: is we had a situation where we had a husband and wife, and and there was an annuity that was owned by the husband, and the investment in that annuity was one hundred fifty thousand dollars, and he happened to have held it for a long period of time. So at the when he passed, the value of the annuity was a million dollars. So now you've got an original investment of $150,000 and a gain of $850,000 within that annuity. So now for a surviving spouse thinking about, okay, what do I do with that annuity? Do I, do I, do I surre- what's called surrender the annuity and take the cash and do something different? Can you talk about the tax implications on that big chunk of gain in, in a non-qualified annuity?
2: Sure. It- so, like you had mentioned, with the the non qualified, it would be purchased with post tax funds. So that would mean that the cash that you're using to buy the annuity was already taxed to you. So you're buying it um, with, with the, we call it post tax funds. Um, so you only pay tax on the earnings portion of of that if you have. We call it, you know, that basis in in the annuity. Um, So annuities are are taxed once the money is withdrawn. Um, So those earnings would be taxed when they're withdrawn, and you start receiving payments. So if a lump sum was received, and you you had that basis of one hundred and fifty thousand, you would be taxed on that um, the earnings portion of that. So uh, did you say it was
1: dollars?
2: $850,000. So it was worth um, a million dollars at that time. So, so that portion would be taxable to you once it's withdrawn.
1: Yeah. So, so I guess thinking about this for a second, and this is where, again, some clients don't quite understand this is if I took that full distribution from that annuity, the gain of $850,000 would be taxed, right?
2: Right, and it's, yes. ta-
1: it's taxed as what type of income?
2: That's just taxed as ordinary um, income to you. So if
1: so, if we had a situation where we had a we had a surviving spouse that had some Social Security income and maybe had some part time income, and and let's just say their household income is, I'm just going to make up a number. Let's just say it's sixty thousand dollars a year, right? So they're in a certain tax bracket at that level, and then if they they Made a decision to close out that annuity and take that distribution. Now they get an eight hundred and fifty thousand dollar taxable distribution, right? So, what happens to their tax bracket if I, they were to do that?
2: They would they would jump up to to the highest tax bracket at that point, which you don't want to do, especially <laughs> if your earned income is only at sixty thousand. So, um, planning it would definitely have benefited. Um, From that, Um, I feel like a lot of times a surviving spouse in that situation just is unaware of, like you said, the um, the taxability of that transaction.
1: Yeah, and so this is where you know the 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 relationship with your financial planner and your tax advisor working together for for your benefit. Okay, it, are hopefully going to provide you with some really good advice to not make some of these mistakes that could cause uh, a massive, massive tax burden. So let's touch on on one more topic today, and and so that's the idea of of investment property. So whether it's a someone owns a second home, so they're primary residents that they live in full time, and let's say maybe they have a vacation property, or they were fortunate enough to own. Um, let's say an, uh, an investment property whether that's another home that they rented out or if they owned an office building or an industrial building and now they've got the second property and they want to sell it okay because maybe they're making some decisions as time moves on you know uh, to to simplify their life right and maybe it's time to to um, sell some of these properties can you just briefly go over the, the taxation possibilities that would go along with selling? Uh, a, res- a, a property that is not your primary residence.
2: So if, if you own a second home, so there, I think there's two different things we can talk about here. Um, if you own a second home, never had rented it. Um, and you sell it for more than you purchased it for, more than you you had put into it, you would have um, a capital gain. So you would fall under those capital gains rates as we mentioned before. So the zero, 15 or 20%, depending on your other income. Now, if you had rental properties, there's, there's a couple of different things that you have to think about and consider. First is how you report it yearly. Um, So if you receive income, obviously you have to report that income to the IRS um, along with any expenses that you incur during the year. Um, One of those expenses, it's called depreciation. So all depreciation is, is the allocation of the cost of the asset over its useful life. And the IRS determines useful lives of of certain assets. For example, um, a residential home would have per, for the IRS would have a useful life of 27 and a half years. So just a quick example, if you purchased a home for $137,500 over 27 and a half years, every year you would have a depreciation expense of $5,000. So that's that, gets, that reduces the income that you're reporting on your return. So the thing that you have to take into consideration when selling a rental is this, it's called a depreciation recapture. Um, so the depreciation, like I mentioned, lowers your tax liability every year you own the investment property. So it's a tax write-off. Um, But when you sell the property, you'll have to recapture this deduction. So you'll owe less, you'll owe the lesser of your current tax bracket, so your current tax rate, or 25% for federal purposes on this. It's called depreciation recapture. But it is important to note even if you don't claim this depreciation during the year. So say you say, I don't want to be subject to this recapture in the end. I'm just not going to depreciate the building. Um, the IRS says, no, you can't do that. Um, even if you don't claim this depreciation expense, you still are subject to this recapture. So it's important to make sure that you're taking this deduction when you're eligible um, because once you go to sell you will be subject to this recapture so it's up to the 25 percent and then the remaining is just taxed at that those capital gains rates as as we had mentioned yeah
1: so I mean I guess right now you know if, if we were in a situation where we had a, a client that was widowed that was making some decisions at this point to to sell off a, another property and given that Today the real estate market is incredibly hot, right? It's a seller's yeah. market, so um, selling something is uh, is is really could generate some great gains. It's we just have to pay attention to how that might be taxed and how that might impact your financial situation going forward, right?
2: Right, and, and usually will you know if, if it's in that situation where they don't want the rental anyways, um, you know the tax is going to be the tax just plan for the tax. And that's what we're able to help with is, you know, if you sell in in July, you know, just taking a portion of those proceeds and just setting them aside until April 15th, when the tax is actually going to be due on that.
1: Yeah. So, hey, Kelly, I, it's been fabulous to, to chat with you again today. I really appreciate you sharing your ex, ex you know expertise in tax planning, you know, with our community. I think the, the key to remember here is, is that um for, for for a widow that's trying to make some financial decisions as they move forward to have some professionals in your corner like like a financial planner and a tax advisor that can look at what your your financial situation is, guide you on specific investments, and make sure that if you're going to make some decisions, you understand what the tax ramifications are of income received, or if an asset is sold, um, just can can prevent you from getting some surprises at tax time. So Kelly, again, thanks for uh, for joining me today. And, and if our listeners wanted to reach out to you, if they had any questions, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you?
2: You can actually go to our website. Um, so it's EderCasella.com. It's E-D-E-R-C-A-S-E-L-L-A.com. And if you click under who we are, and then our team, you'll be able to find all of my information there.
1: Awesome, Kelly. Thanks again for participating. Uh, so thank you for listening to the Widow But Not Alone podcast. I'm Todd Bessie with Credum Wealth Partners. Please consider subscribing to our podcast so that you receive updates about our upcoming episodes, and please share with friends and family that might benefit from listening as well. If you have any questions about the topics covered in today's conversation and would like to contact me and my team, you can find us at creedomwealth.com. That's C-R-E-I-D-I-M wealth.com. Thank you for listening.
0: you for listening to Widowed But Not Alone. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Integrated Wealth Partners. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment advice offered through Integrated Partners, doing business as Cretum Wealth Partners, a registered investment advisor.